this is Jeff Ross, um, not to be confused with another Jeff Ross, or Jeff Ross, my accountant in Toronto, or Jeff Ross, my oh, dentist really? out of New York. I know a few. But mm -hmm. Zach Selwyn, give him the premise of occupational therapy because Jeff's a great friend and also has some of the best rock and roll and late night stories ever. And we're going to find out about his occupation today. I love it. Well, Jared is a good friend of mine. And uh, for the past 10 years, he's been considered uh, the number one jingle writer in the world. That's a self-given title. Uh, <laughs> recently, as his company has been sold, he is not allowed to compete in that world anymore. No more jingle writing, no more going after jobs. He's got two years of a cease and desist, so he needs a new job. So what we're doing is we're going around and meeting people like you who have accomplished great things and do really interesting jobs all across the board, from entertainment to restaurateurs to photographers, you name it. Mm -hmm. You obviously, being an EP at Conan and having a sordid rock past, I'm told, uh, could be the kind of guy that Jared might aspire to become. So we're going to see if maybe he could slip into the executive late night production shoe. Try <laughs> that one on for size. Well, well let's, rock and roll is sort of sorted. Let, let's let's back it up. We want to hear before the Lauren Michaels, before Conan O'Brien, before anything. Tell us how did you get even into the entertainment business? And well, I was um, I was working as a bartender in Soho in 1979 or 80. Yeesh. And yes, long time I'm old, guys. And um, <laughs> a friend of mine had a business ma management firm, and he represented some some bands. And he represented a band called Molly Hatchet. Oh, I know. Now, okay. I, I don't know if you guys you guys really know that, but they were a uh, southern rock and roll band in the vein of Leonard Skinner, but not Leonard Skinner. <laughs> and they were all they were from from uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, they needed, and I had it. I had it. I had a um, some experience in the in the, a little bit in the in the in the concert business because I went to NYU and I was a friend of mine and I were like co-chairman of the concert committee. They called it where you would book the shows. That's a big responsibility. There's a lot they of money around this that. thousand seat or eight hundred seat, I think, theater at the Loeb Student Center on Washington Square Park. So I kind of could bullshit my way through enough. <laughs> to get by. Uh, and they needed, they had a road manager, but they needed a tour accountant, which meant basically, you know, handle the money, settle the dates with the promoters, carry a lot of cash in your pocket. And so I wound up uh, for about six months, eight months on a tour bus touring the country with Molly Hatch. Damn. Which involved a lot of, um, like I was 20, whatever I was, I was 25, 24 or 5 at the time. And I didn't know anything about anything. And next thing you know, I'm, I went from being a bartender to being on a road with a, you know, the mm -hmm. Jewish kid. <laughs> a road with a bunch of like, you know, Jacksonville sort of redneck rockers. I can only imagine Coke, what that was like. <laughs> drank Jack and Coke and in the back. <laughs> and I remember they had, they had uh, if I go on too long, let me know. No, uh, uh, they had a uh, they rented George Jones's tour bus, <laughs> and in the back lounge of the tour bus was uh, a video game. But in those days, it was just Pac Man, you know. Yo, it was that's like a, fancy. So it was like a table with two um, side, you know, with two you could play on both sides. But it was basically a flat. 
it was a it was a yayo table. Let's just be honest. Exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> and, and, and I heard that George Jones had like parts of the bus. I don't know this. I heard this on Tales from the Tour bus that weren't nailed down, essentially. So, but I just I do remember, though, on this on, with these guys, there was a lot of there were a lot of of playing Pac-Man. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of Jack, Jack and, Coke, and Coke, which I didn't particularly like. And a lot of smoking weed. And then there were guns. As you do when you're a band like that from Jacksonville, because right. you can't take or the guns. Or Jingle Punk's employee. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah. Probably need them more than they did. So anyway, so I spent like six months or eight months, or maybe close to a year on and off with them and being on, living on a tour bus, which was quite an experience. And then somehow I wound up, I, I guess where I was off the road or something, and, and ACDC was looking for a tour account. That's amazing. And I was like, well, that I got to do. because What <laughs> album were they coming off of? For those about to rock. Wow. Yeah. So that's right before, is that, but that's before Back in Black. No, it's after Back in Black. After, Black. after uh, Bon Scott died, it's now it's Brian Johnson. Got it. So right. there's the modern ACDC that we all yeah, know. Yeah, and they traveled, I mean, it was a huge tour. It was, it was, it was multiple arena dates in each city, and it was Damn. huge. So now I'm like, you know. I'm in. Uh, you know, it was great. And um, so I did that for a while. Then they fired the tour manager and made me the tour manager for till the end of that tour. And they were really nice guys, very generous. And they were great. They were, per- they were all business. It was like, there was no fucking around. It was like all business. Um, and then somebody said, Diana Ross was looking for a tour manager. So I, uh, went and auditioned for the job. I guess I went to meet her. It was, I can't remember if it was either in Arizona somewhere or it was in San Diego. I think it was somewhere in Arizona. And she must have been doing stadiums. She's the- in those days, it was arenas also. In those days, she was playing arenas like in the round. She would be in the round, you know. And so I remember watching her show and it was like, you know, the crowds would go crazy and it's in the, you know, it's in the, she's in the round and she's got like five wardrobe changes and intermission. And I mean, it's mm-hmm. crazy. And so she, she, worked hard. I mean, it's a real, it was a legit show. It was like, you know, big, it was a pretty large band and, um, uh, uh, in the round. And then I remember going to meet her and after this, so I watched the show and then it was this whole thing with the security guard, Armando, I'll never forget this. Miss <laughs> Ross will see you now, you know, and I, I opened the door and it's this dressing was all white and she's dressing all white and just with the hair and the, you know, and I'm like, fuck, it's Diana Ross. And uh, I sit down and, uh, and I don't remember much about the meeting except for the fact that I got the job. Damn. So then I wound up on the road with her for on and off for a few years while she toured and went to Europe with her. And um, had, it was, and I remember it, 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 it's just jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, she had hired the, the uh, this is again an old reference, but do you remember Southside Johnny and Asbury Jukes? Yeah, of course. So there was the Asbury Jukes horns and she hired the Jukes horn section to be in her band. So when I was there, it was the Jukes horn section. Southside Johnny was supposed to be like the next Springsteen. Right. And then you, if you fast forward, which I'm just skipping over some, so I'll go back. Um, when I got the, when we were figuring out the Conan show and trying to find a band, I walk into the Max Weinberg audition and uh, Richie uh, Richie Rosenberg, La Bamba, and Mark Pender were in the band. The two guys that were I was on the road with with Diana Ross, like ten years later, it was really weird. They wow. went to the job. Um, anyway, so I did it. So so then I went on the road with. Um, I was I was going to go then go on the road with Diana and leave ACDC, 
or not, or they were actually, they were done. They were probably done. But when they found out that I was going to do Diana Ross, there's a guy who's a famous production guy. I think he does the stones now. His name's Jake Berry. And he's a famous production manager. He's like done like you two. And, 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 you know, he's like a big, he's a big time guy. And he was their production manager at the time. And all he would do is every time I walked by, he would, he would be like, you like, you got, you go in Hollywood on us, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and he went, oh, here you go. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> well, that's not Hollywood. That's Broadway. Yeah, <laughs> no? you're like, bro, you missed the joke. You messed the joke up on me. <laughs> he, he, I didn't even get it, you know. And I was like, oh, I see what you're trying, what you're trying to do. But he was—he's a great guy, and I'd run into him since doing the TV show because he we'd had bands on it. He, the production manager he was a really good guy. Anyway, so I do do Diana Ross, and then there was this infamous concert in Central Park in 1983. 82 or 83. I think it's 83. And it was one of those, you know, those big concerts in Central Park where there's like half a million people. And I bet you Paul Simon was there. <laughs> Paul Simon, I produced Paul Simon's special after I became a TV producer. In Oh, you, pre- I love that album. I you love Simon in the Park. Yeah, yeah, I did. The that. One, oh, the one in 91, the one that had, I love on. that. Was oh, it 90 or 91? I forget, but you're probably right. It was probably 91. Obvious Child no, on yes. that is like the greatest. Yes. Yeah. It, was that, it was the album after... Graceland and then Rhythm of the Saints. Yes. yes. And then that. Rhythm of the Saints. That's right. That was a whole other cool thing. But anyway, so um, so uh, she does this concert in Central Park, and, I, and it was just crazy. I mean, it was just crazy. And we set it all up, and it's on Showtime. And, uh, and at the time, Barry Diller... Oh, yeah. Barry Diller was. Hang on. Let me turn this off. Sorry. Barry Diller's cool. I gotta, I gotta call you back. I gotta call you yeah. back. Um, <laughs> sorry. I didn't know Tell Colin uh, to F off. Exactly. I just did. Uh, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Barry Diller was running Paramount at the time. It was Showtime, it was part of Paramount, and it was a Paramount. It was, it was a live concert on, on, on Showtime. Mm-hmm. And the show starts. And the weather is not good. Mm-hmm. And it's a sort of, if you, it, I think there's been like a, hmm. you can rent it or whatever. It's out there somewhere. And like a third of the way through the show, it just, it's thunder and lightning and it's like dangerous. And we have to go like pull her out. I remember Barry Diller going up on the stage and we're all sitting behind the stage. I was, who's going to go get her? And yeah. he got her to come off the stage. And then I remember, and I'm like the, the tour manager and I got friendly with this guy, Greg Sills, who's a pretty well-known specials producer used to produce the Grammys and a lot of big shows. And, um, I remember after that happened, everything is like underwater, like this, the crowd leaves and everything. It's a disaster. Everything's underwater. There's mud everywhere. We're sitting in this steamy trailer trying to figure out what to do. And the door swings open and Barry Diller comes in. He goes, how much would it cost to do it again tomorrow? And this, guy, and this guy, Greg Sills goes, Sills goes, I have no idea. And he just goes, just do it again tomorrow. And he walks out and slams wow. the door. So we actually did it again the next day. Oh, and that was anyway, this guy, Greg Sills, who I got very friendly with, was like, do you want to get in the TV business? Because, you know, we sort of hit it off. And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to go off the road and get in the TV business, which I knew nothing about, or maybe a little since doing that. And I wound up getting like little jobs here and there. And I wound up moving out to LA from New York in 85 or six. And just with no job and like $5,000 in my pocket and like lived with a friend until I could figure it out. And I lived with my friend Greg in Malibu for a while. And then I moved to moved in with my friend in Brentwood. 
and then got my own place. I started getting little jobs here and then. My first, the first job was a was a uh, like an associate producer job or something on a or no a production some low level job on a um, on a on a tribute to a syndic- live syndicated tribute to David Copperfield. Oh damn, that's these, the big time. Where all these um, comics, the comic, all these magicians and illusionists were doing David Copper. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, tribute. To Houdini. Oh, to Houdini. Uh, got it, got sorry, it. that makes more sense. Edit that out. There we go. No, no. The- <laughs> it was a it was a live syndicated tribute to Houdini. Copperfield was in it. Mm-hmm. He did a tape thing, and Penn and Teller did a tape thing, and there was a bunch of live things at this theater down in downtown LA. And there was a, a I remember there being a thing called the Pendragons, and and William Shatner was hosting it, and and there was it was they were doing this Houdini illusion where you know you put the girl you know the there's a the, you come out with the beautiful girl in the in the in the in the in the one piece <laughs> in the one piece bathing suit and there's a trunk and he puts her in the trunk and locks the key throws away the key and they put up like a drape and then they take the drape away and she comes out and she's in a bikini and not a one piece yeah mm. so they do the thing and she they're called the pen dragons and they they probably still exist they do the thing she gets in the in the in the trunk and he takes the the curtain away and she she's like she's like this but she's leaning down in the trunk she won't get up mm. and shatner walks over and goes the pen dragons everybody he looks down and she can't she got her bottom twisted at the bottom a part of her bathing suit twisted and she wouldn't because her she, she had yeah. nothing on she so she, she would just she just sort of went from waist up like da da it was very lame. It was anyway, a Super was, Bowl Janet Jackson moment almost in the making. Those somebody girls. could look that up. I bet you we on YouTube we could find that moment where she just comes out and she just won't even get out of the trunk. And that's how Shatner met his third wife. Probably. <laughs> Those are the kind of things in like live TV that like uh, you know I used to be an editor and I every year on New Year's Eve they'd be like. Jared, you're editing New Year's Eve. That's a live to tape show. So what does that really mean? It means I'm sitting there right. unless something goes wrong. And they're like, do you know how to do the the delay button? And I just, my answer was always yes. I was like, yeah. And I had no clue. So good thing nothing like that ever happened because that would have been the end of my career. I would have been blacklisted. <laughs> no, there was no TV. delay button, I don't think, on this show. But I mean, you couldn't see anything. You just wouldn't get out of the trunk. <laughs> but uh, so, anyway, so I worked my way up and did a lot of, did a lot of shows. And uh, I did a very cool uh I did a lot. Ken Ehrlich, who produced the Grammys for years. I know, yeah. He gave me a lot of work in those days. And the, one of the coolest things was a, you know, I'm a Clapton freak. Oh, yeah. And there was, we did a, a, he did a Showtime special, a tribute to B.B. King. Hmm. And everybody showed up. I've seen that one too. Yeah, everybody, not just Clapton, but like Stevie Ray Vaughan mm-hmm. and, and um, um, Gladys Knight. I mean, I mean, all the old blues players. That's amazing. You know, I mean, they, I mean, I can't remember. It was everybody showed up, and that was that. That's worth watching. That was that's crazy. legit. That's maybe King. Legit. People don't realize he was like one of the last living links to yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Bristol sessions. Even though he wasn't like there, like this sort of, was, and this was like an eighty-seven. Yeah, maybe. I know that everybody you like Cla- all of Clapton. Where I start. I like Clapton most of the way through, uh, you know, and I was like, do I like Clapton that much? But I, every era I think of, I like Cream. I like um, Blind Faith. I like even his 80s stuff that he did in The in uh, the Color of Money. It's in the way he <laughs> uses it. Song. And then I really start to, and then I like From the Cradle, 
and then I start to lose him around. Well, the cradle's pretty awesome. Yeah, and then after with Tears in Heaven, it starts to go soft rock for me. I, I like that song, and I liked uh, Change the World, and then I just, I'm, I, that's, then that's, I can't. I think that's Babyface. Yeah, that's where it gets a little soft. <laughs> Journeyman's a hell of a record. Yes, Makes I agree. 90, yeah. I agree. No, you know, like, look, but anyway, I remember, anyway. Meeting, I remember meeting him and telling him, you know. Let's get him on the call. Can we call him right now? Can we get him on here? Oh, yeah. That'd be great. Let's get him right great. now. <laughs> no, um, we met in 1987. You remember me, me right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not really sure who you are, man. It actually was an embarrassing <laughs> moment because I, I had to, like, sit, you know, I was like, yeah, because, you know, I've seen all these people. It's like unbelievable. And then Clapton walks in. I'm like, oh, my God. And then and then he's like got a guitar roadie with him or somebody and 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 I'm like and I clearly was a little bit in awe of him because I usually try to play it cool and with him I don't I probably couldn't help myself but be a little like oh, I'm a, uh, uh, you know that's a big one you know and and and, and, one, and, yeah. and I oh, guess me. and I guess when he said okay thanks mate whatever and he walks away <laughs> the roadie. I'll never forget this. Rody, I think, noticed he just handed me a pic that said EC was here. He just, <laughs> like, he knew, he saw, I think he saw that I was like. He didn't give you a T-shirt that said no show or no snow, no right, show. Right, I know that. I've seen that. I've seen that. No snow, no show. Yeah. Yeah, 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 the that. most amazing shirt. It's pack, it was anyway, Pac-Man. So I did all these shows and I got very lucky and I got hired a lot and I learned a lot. And then I, then this same guy, Greg Sills, who got me in the business was, producing the Emmys for Lauren Michaels. He was like doing the, you know, Lauren was, there's one year Lauren produced the Emmys. And, and at the same time he had this, Lauren had this show called live from the hard rock. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just a bad idea. It was a big, it was like a two hour live special on NBC. And I feel like Dan Aykroyd somehow behind that one. Yes, he was, he was. And it was like in excess, Paul Simon, Mellencamp or whatever his name was then yeah. a different name <laughs> um um and then like a bunch of like Aykroyd and 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 um some version of the Brothers. and it was this whole thing and it was it was shot we did it on the back lot at Universal where, where they shot what's called Spartacus Square basically which is all the all the facades from from the movie Spartacus yeah and it was craziness. There was a guy named Eugene Lee who was the set, who still is the set designer on Saturday Night Live, who wasn't because I had to work with all these people from Saturday Night Live, yeah. who I had never met before. I had never met Lauren before. And I remember Eugene, who's got a very, very strong like Rhode Island accent, and he kind of walks in and he's looking at these facades and everything. He goes, and he goes, they didn't have asphalt in ancient Rome. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah. And then the next thing I know, I get to I get to the, the, the set the next day when we're setting everything up, and there is a lineup of dump trucks full of sand Damn. outside the gate, and he was dumping sand on the ground on the entire. And it's, it's this sort of area that's just surrounded by facades, and with a big asphalt area where we're building in on on the on the facades of these buildings, like the Coliseum, whatever it might be. We're putting like you know, you know, sets and places for bands to play and stuff. So now there's sand all over this and it's August in LA (laughs) first day of rehearsal. And it's like 95 degrees and windy (laughs) and it's like a fucking sandstorm. (laughs) So the next morning I get there and there's dump, there's, there's, you know, what do you call them? Uh, uh, you know, thing, you know, digging up the, the, you know, uh, 
like hose or whatever. Hose and stuff. They're taking up the sand, but they couldn't get all the sand. It was a disaster. You and I are the most Jewish, the three Jewish guys here. We couldn't think of the farm equipment exactly. that lifts the sand out. We're like, the hose. I tracked We've done a lot of construction. Yeah. <laughs> you do a lot of, you do a lot of there. Up in cottage country, right? Yeah, up in, up in I sweep the, the driveway. Yeah. And anyway, so uh, I met Lauren Michaels and we hit it off. I guess he liked me. And like five, six months later, he calls me and he says he's got this pilot called The Kids in the Hall that they shot. <laughs> and HBO want to make it a series. Would you go up there for, to Toronto for two weeks and and just get it organized? I was like, yeah. So it was February in LA. LA. I fly to Toronto. You know, it's weather like this. I fly to Toronto. It's snowing in 10 degrees (laughs) my hometown and i yours too no that's my hometown yeah yeah and i lived there for a year i went up staying for a year and where did you live in toronto i lived first at the sutton place Mm -hmm. and and a few blocks up on what's is that young not young street yeah young street young a few blocks up young street toronto is um uh, like they call the polo towers or something these or they were there were these new, new high-rise buildings was right it hazelton there. lanes or something it was like just like literally three blocks up from Sutton place that's amazing and i lived there for like a year and then i and then, and then i went back and forth for like three years until i met until the conan thing happened so that was that closely time-wise together because i remember kids in the hall for me was like high school into university well no that's not so true it would have been it would have been eight it would have been 89 to 94 yeah and then conan's right after nine conan was 93 i didn't do the last year that show was did you at the time did you feel like you were on something special or is yeah, like, yes. oh, there's another game? yes i did well when i went up there it was a mess and it was a lot of guys just fighting and it's kind of but then i once i got into it like i didn't really know Hadn't done much comedy before that, mm-hmm. and that was my my sort of edu- my first bit of an education from Lauren and, and those guys who are really talented. Can people stream that like on Apple or where is uh, that available? I don't you know, know where it is now, but I know that they made a deal to there because I stayed pretty. Fr- I'm pretty friendly with Mark McKinney, who oh yeah, and um, I talked to him the other day. Actually, they 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 they're doing like six or ten episodes for Amazon. Yeah, I saw they're doing another um, another run of it, right of new ones. Yeah. Right, did you do the movie too? I did not do the movie. Tragically Hip, very Canadian band, did the uh, uh, theme song. Rest in peace, who, who Gord. The, Gord. Hey, you, uh, what was the name of the band who did the theme for the kids? Oh no! Oh my God! I, I'm getting. I, I'm an idiot that I don't know. Molly Hatchet. No. <laughs> it, it is. Right in. Oh God. Oh no! I can't remember. Really, oh. it wasn't Pursuit of Happiness. It was something like that. It was a Canadian band, right? Yes. Uh, uh, Blue Rodeo. No, it wasn't. It'll <laughs> <laughs> come to me anyway. Doug and the Slugs. So I did. That was my sort of in, indoctrination into sort of the comedy world, and then and, and they were sort of like respected. But when we would go down, they were on HBO. But we, we'd come down here and 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 do stuff, and they were like, "Oh yeah, that little sketch show." And then of course, when it was shadowy like, men from oh, a shadowy God. planet, I, I googled it. I cheated. Shadowy, shadowy men on shadowy, shadowy planet. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> And, um, and then I remember the, we, I remember that's how I met that somehow the bare naked ladies somehow up in those days, then they were around so good. And, um, so yeah, that was the, and so basically by 93 is when Conan said, when the whole Leno Letterman thing blew up and, and Lauren said, they, they anointed Lauren to find the new host. And then Lauren said, you want to be the producer? And I'm like, 
sure. But the, the whole idea of it was so crazy. Like, yeah, sure, I'll produce the, the show that's replacing David Letterman. It is the height of his coolness. You know what so I mean? So you got to back it up and tell us how this all happened because uh, the late night at that time is probably the hardest gig in the world to get. There's only, at, at that time, there's only two people, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a couple of, there's a book about it um, that Bill yeah. Carter wrote. Basically, and what the movie. Happened, yeah. And the movie. And you're right, and the movie, which was interesting. Um, what happened was when Leno, when Letterman was leaving, they had to, it was a big deal to find somebody to replace Letterman at, at 1230 at NBC. Bob Wright, who ran NBC at the time, went to Lauren Michaels and said, I need you to figure this out because they had no idea what they were doing. And then Lauren said to me, do you want to produce it? And I'm like, sure. What am I going to say? No, I'm not. You know, even though I had no idea how to do that kind of show, I figured, well, it's like you just say yes and figure it out. You know what I mean? You know? <laughs> and, um, and at the same time, he had talked to, Conan about being like the head writer or producer, but we had never met. And, um, you know, some time goes by and I was doing, I was doing a lot of the HBO comedy specials in New York at the time, not with Lauren, but I had to sort of a deal where I could just do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, 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 and in all fairness, I learned a huge amount from Lauren Michaels and he was very generous and just, you know, said, go do this stuff. Just, threw me in with the sharks and let me figure it out. And when I fucked it up, you would tell me how I fucked it up and uh-huh. what I could do with the way, the right way to do it. But anyway, um, so Conan basically told Lauren, he really was trying wanted to go cause he had a really big job at the Simpsons and could have had like a big deal. And, you know, he was a respected writer. Was he like a showrunner? The, like, he wasn't the showrunner. I think he, I'm not even sure. He, was a, he might've been a producer on the Simpsons, but he was a, pretty well-respected, you know, up and not up and coming, on, on the rise sort of like writer producer, but he wanted to perform and he sort of told Lauren he didn't want to do the, the, the late night thing because he wanted to pursue a performing career. And I, and I remember going to auditions at the improv here with Lauren and everybody, I mean, names you can't believe that were auditioning for the job. Everybody. Yeah. And Who were some of those names, just so I can see what he was up against? John Stewart. Oh wow! Colin Quinn. I don't know if Kevin Nealon was there. I, wow! I'd have to really think about it, but there were a lot at this one night at the Improv with every all the executives from NBC and Lauren and I was there and all these people, and they just paraded out these people, and one wow. after another, and it was it was surreal because now I was sort of in that world a little bit and knew some of these people, and I was just like. This is just crazy. Who's and the know? president of NBC was at this? Yeah. Donald Meyer and Warren Littlefield. Wow. Both of them. And, um, and then I remember being at a meeting the next day. I remember going to drinks across the street. where There used to be a place called the Mustache Cafe. Mm, yes. Um, across from the improv. And I remember sitting there and they were, everybody was there. It was like the Allmeyer and Littlefield and this guy, John Angoli, who was like the business affairs guy. And, and I met with Lauren and everything and said, all right, and they're like, well, that's all my, so I have a meeting in my office tomorrow. And, and Lauren goes, Jeff, come to the, can you come to the meeting? I'm like, yeah, I can come to the meeting. I'm like, <laughs> and yes, you know, and I go to this meeting and they're, they're all trying to like this guy, Rick Ludwin, who was like the, the guy who really understood late night television, NBC. And he's the guy responsible for sort of getting Seinfeld on the air and just passed away recently. Um, and keeping us on the air actually. 
Um, he's there and I go to this meeting the next day and, and Lauren just blurts out literally after talking about all these, every, every name that comes up, somebody has a reason why they can't do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's not right. No, that's this was blah, this for this reason, for that reason. Yeah. And everybody's getting frustrated. And then Lauren just says, I think Conan could do it. When you say it like that, it makes sense. He's a clean slate. I had no thoughts or opinions on him at the time when it came out. I remember the backstory was solid. Well, I also remember Lauren turning to me and goes, don't you think, Jeff? <laughs> now, I've never met him. I barely know who he is. And I, and I just say, without yeah. missing a I go, yeah, sure. <laughs> and, that's, and you're, that's yes, unbelievable. And then, and yeah, I yeah. am. That's, my, that's what I've learned. And then, and I remember him. And then, and then I think Omar, one of those guys said, well, can we test him? And then Lauren turns to me and goes, can we test him? And I go, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then I, and then, and then we leave the meeting. Um, what's what's now I, I've been a performer for 20 years, Jeff, and I've been on a lot of shows and I've lost a lot of shows. And it's amazing to hear from someone in your position, sometimes just how simple the decision yeah. is. Cause you, as an actor, well, like, that wasn't the decision. Right. That, the, 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 that was, that was but, just, let's just, let's test them. Okay. So but still we, like getting to that point, even to that far, you know, guys like John Stewart were going home that night going, Oh my God, please. You know? Right. right. And so I, so, so now basically I meet, I remember I met, I was staying at the four seasons in LA, uh, you know, on Doheny here and, 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 and Conan, I, I never met him. And so, so I was meeting him there at the, downstairs and, and <laughs> He call, he. Uh, this is, I've told this story before, but he he call he he calls my room. And says, "Okay, I'm downstairs. I'm in the area where the where the gift shop is." And I go down there, and he's sitting behind like the con. It's like a concierge desk kind of thing, and he's sitting there, and he he literally, you know, and you can't see it. I'm just this, and he goes, "It's like it's like." He sort of goes, "Well," he goes, he's just behind the desk. And he goes, "What do you think?" And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is too fucking weird. <laughs> you know, and he, and he thinks it's weird too. It's crazy. So we talked for a while and we hit it off and, and he's, he's 29 years old. I'm 35 or 36. And, um, we did this test on the set of the tonight show, like a month later we went, I remember, I remember too, there was, he had a, there was a script because he had a monologue and I, he did, he interviewed Jason Alexander and Mimi Rogers. Yeah. I don't remember which one went first. No, I think it was Mimi Rogers first. And he had a very funny, it's on it's probably on YouTube, the audition, but he had a, he he really he had a lot of funny lines in that, and there was an audience. He was getting laughs, and then in between the two, I I wrote on the back of the script card, I just went, You're killing. And I just put it in front of him. And he just sort of snarked, snarked at me, like, really? And I'm like, <laughs> you are. And it went well. And then, but I, what I knew before the audition, which I which he didn't know. And it's another long story, but basically I knew they had already offered it to Gary Shanley. Whoa. Okay. They had offered it to him. They probably offered him a lot of money, but he hadn't said yes yet. So at, the audition goes well, and we all think it went well. And I'm, I remember going to Conan's like 29th or 30th birthday party at his apartment. He invited he, I went to his house, his apartment in Beverly Hills. And then I went back to New York and I'm in my office at Broadway Video. And you never, you know, sometimes when you, when you get like, you don't get phone messages anymore because nobody calls anybody anymore. But in the old days when you would get actually get phone calls, yeah. you'd have like, you'd, like you get messages, yeah, like, piece of paper with messages on it. Mm-hmm. Well, I got back from lunch one day and I got messages from like 10 people 
and and the, because of the ten people I had the messages from, I was like, "Fuck, he got the job." <laughs> you know what I mean, it was right. as obvious that yeah. he had gotten the job. And I was like, and I called him. I'm like, I'm like, "Fuck, you got the job." He goes, "I know. I can't fucking believe it." And then, <laughs> then, then we, we had like three months in New York to figure it all out, and it was chaos. I love that. That's unbelievable. Because I, I guess Shamling didn't want to do it, and they had to make a decision, and they did. I think I had heard a bit of the Shandling story in the doc that Apatow had just done, which is an amazing doc. I don't know if you watched that one. I loved it. It was awesome. And by the way, he was the second person to tell a Shandling story on this. Levin yeah. was also telling about oh, really? his experience and, uh, working on Larry. Well, I'm surprised you guys just didn't go with Magic Johnson. <laughs> After his talk show. <laughs> Remember that show? Went, no, I think his was during while we were doing it. I think he went on. Okay. I think he went after. I think all those guys went on after 93. What, what about yeah, Chevy Chase's right. uh, talk show? <laughs> was that through Broadway? Oh, oh, used to, that. In those days, it was like the biggest deal in the world having a late night talk show. And now, yeah. it's, now it's like there's 40 of them. So we don't have a ton of time left, but tell us in the, the time since you've been doing that. How has your world changed? Because you have so you could fill a book, obviously, and you, your stories have. But tell tell us about the transition from network to cable, and 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 your how you guys have done podcasting stuff. How do we encapsulate that into a nice tidbit of what's happened the past few years? Uh, well, this guy named Steve Coonan, who you guys probably never heard of, um, ran Turner at the time, and he we didn't know what we were going to do, and it's sort of it actually it plays out in that in that documentary when we did that tour between the tonight show and the, you know, it's in there. I saw it live. I saw it in the tour live. Yeah. When, uh, what's his name opened? Uh, the, the guy who's on, um, uh, Corden show. What's his name? His musician. Oh, uh, Reggie Watts. Reggie Watts. Yeah. 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 He was the opener. Yeah. Yeah. He, they, he basically came to us and said, look, we didn't know what we were going to do. There was a possibility we were going to go to Fox and the deal was like, almost like we were paying them to do it. The deal was so bad. Mm-hmm. And Steve Coonan <laughs> showed up and said, look, come to TBS. You won't get good ratings. He says, you're not going to get good ratings, but we want you there. We want to build something around you and you can do it and do whatever you want. And you, you guys, uh, and you, you got, the show. And you got a production deal too. Cause you guys did people of earth, right? You did a yeah. couple other things. Yeah, when I, I, I actually worked there for a couple of years. Turner. Yeah. 2016, 2017 in the, in the digital content production side. And uh, we watched all those shows. So you guys had a rec- you had a TV deal. You could develop other properties. Yeah, People of Earth was a good one too. I don't yeah, know they canceled it. They shouldn't have. But that was one. A lot, a lot of times when you get a show canceled like that, because we've made a lot of pilots. And I saw the pilot to Beat Cops. Do you remember that one? I yeah. love that one with <laughs> Sam Cedar. I swear to God, that's a funny show. That's uh, Sam really Cedar and John Benjamin, two really funny guys. Oh, John so Benjamin. Really funny. funny show. Really funny show. And. It was funny because when it, when it was uh, pilot during uh, like the upfronts, I remember uh, Fox, they, NBC wasn't going to pick it up, and Fox almost almost bought it. I mean, it got close. Where is Sam Cedar now? Because he was Cedar a radio a guy radio, for a while. I think he has a radio show somewhere. Yeah, he was great. That show should have gone. It was funny. We are, we actually talked about about doing it again, and it, just it was ahead of its time. They, they were no, it was really funny. Um, so anyway, so we, you know, we own the show. We're able to do whatever we want. We built a digital business. We built a brand and content business, you know, because all of a sudden clips on YouTube are doing more people are watching those than are watching it on linear television, which now it's really the case. And so we made a business out of that. 
and um, and then the podcast thing only came about the about I guess two years ago. Um, we started this joint venture with Warner Media. It was with Turner now, so with Warner Media, where we were building out. We wanted to build out a podcast business, and because it was you know it was a growing business, and we talked to Conan about the idea of doing one. He says, "Oh," and he didn't, he was sort of like, "I don't know if I really want to do more work." Um, <laughs> And it was like, but let's try it. And he loves it. It's such loves, a good podcast. He loves it. it. And it shows. Yeah. And so, um, and, it, and it does really well. And, and so that's a whole have, new media space that you guys are just like leaders in now. Like every, the, I would actually say it's where you're sitting. It's more prestigious now. And because we're doing podcasts here, I honestly think that's the next, you know, format and empire business is being built off of that. Yeah, we have a bunch. We're we're about. We're hopefully going to have a bunch of others. I mean, we're we're, we're you know we're some smaller ones and some comedians and some bigger names that we haven't announced yet. If you want to pick this one up, I mean, I think Jared would be cool with it. I know <laughs> Show me where to sign on the dotted well, line. That's what having me in it is the kiss of death. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> me too. King of the uh, well. We, uh, by the way, um, this is this is an amazing, just like another entrepreneurial story. Like every person we've talked to has the craziest path from where they started to where they are. And I think that anyone who listens to this podcast, if they look at it as a bizarro masterclass or something, it's that there is no roadmap. Like how could anyone have ever thought going from a bartender working with Molly Hatchet takes you yeah, to yeah. where you are now? I, I, if I ever thought I had any talent at all. It was like it was like when you were faced with having to make a decision of which way to go. Yeah, uh, smart enough to make the right decision. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when Lauren Michael said, "Would you go to Toronto for two weeks?" Which turns into a year. I could have had another job and said, eh, "I'd rather do this other thing." You know what I mean? Yeah. The great Yogi Bear once said, "Yogi Bear once said, when there's a fork in the road, take it." and uh zach so what do you think is my occupational therapist what do you think here you know i actually think you know jeff has sort of you know successfully chosen these paths and gone down roads that have led him to where he's been for a very long time i mean you've been in the same job for a long time and i just i could see that happening jared but part of me thinks that i don't know if you could last at the same job for almost 30 years i think you're kind of a mover and a shaker you're sort of an entrepreneur and you might not be happy that comfortable do you know what i mean yeah. Still, I think you could definitely do this for a couple of years. You know. Jeff. Uh, hey, let me tell you, if Conan, if Conan wasn't the good dude that he is, mm-hmm. it couldn't it, it wouldn't happen. Well, I mean that's that's it. That's he's one of the good. comic geniuses like of our time. And I've you know, I've followed not only all the shows that you've mentioned, but also, you know, I was an avid Conan watcher when it was on uh, network television, you know, uh, since the podcast stuff came about, that's been for me just a rebirth and resurgence of showing the world how talented he is. And just and now, and now we're making a show that looks like a high school television station <laughs> with him at home with an iPhone. That's amazing. Yes. You guys are one of the, so uh, there are, you guys are one of the few shows continuing on and using the technology of the day zoom to make stuff happen. And uh, that's amazing. I mean, I feel like in times like this, which are really tough for people, you, like I think the need to laugh and the need to see a face and communicate and uh, you know, even our little happy hours we do, it's brought, oh, yeah. I think a lot of my friendships 
closer than what they were before because people didn't stop. You know, we'd have our dinners at Craig's, but I feel like I'm more frequently in touch with all the people around me right now, not only for work, but friendships. Yeah. 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 Well, you're amazing, Jeff. We appreciate you taking time, and uh, I'm sure you got another Zoom after this. (laughs) We're all Zoom. I have a work Zoom. Zoom, Zoom. Thank you for being on (laughs) Occupational Therapy. Jack, good to see you. You too, man. Always good to see you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. All right, man.